Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Hmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Maria Lessie. Welcome, Marie. Hey, Karen. How are you? I'm really great. Now, your husband died a few years ago. He had a brain aneurysm and then you founded the movement Loving Life After Loss and you started or, or you started talking to people about how to move beyond grief and move beyond loss. Is that right? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Particularly how to address grief differently to what society suggests. Yes, that's a really good point. That was mm. one of the things that really intrigued me about this because I remember when I was in junior school, I was very young, probably about nine, and one of the boys in my class was called out and he was, he'd been told that his mother had been killed in a gas explosion. And I remember it clearly because I was walking past the headmaster's office not long after and the boy was sat there by himself and they'd given him a bit of time to just process things by himself. I mean, we're talking a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like as a society, if you want to grieve, you go over in the corner and do it by yourself because we don't want to see it. That's mm. a bit hard, but the kind of yeah. that's what stuck with yeah. me at that yeah. age. That's really shocking. Like, I, like instantly, I'm thinking, oh my god, you know, like my boys were ten and eight when Rob died, so literally around that age, and. I couldn't imagine them being told by the headmaster and then sitting on their own or let alone all alone. You know, it's that, that, that's just heartbreaking. As a mom, it just rips my heart out thinking about that. It's, it's shocking, yeah. But it is what, what we – grief isn't something that we're taught to show publicly no. as, as a, a Western yeah. kind of British heritage kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Even more so, we are not taught how to deal with it full stop, not just that people feel uncomfortable about it, but we're just not taught how to actually grieve properly. And that's that's one of many reasons that got me to start this movement. So talk to me, how do you grieve properly? What do you mean by that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, it's a very interesting question in such that, you know, how do you, you grieve properly? Like, everybody's so different everybody needs something so different but I believe that what society suggests which is you know your life is over and your life will never be the same there's always going to be a hole in your heart there's all these go-to sentences that you hear when somebody passes um, that none of them really help with the healing all of them actually keep you stuck in the pain and that's where I believe the biggest mistake happens and I usually like um, sharing a comparison here and this is such an exception for me because I always say don't compare when it comes to grief but there's one thing I really do want to compare it to and that is when it comes to physical and emotional pain. You know, I always say imagine you're walking across a field full of wounded soldiers and they're just bleeding and they're hurting and some of them are just having scratches and other ones have lost limbs and are in absolute danger of losing their lives what would people do when they see that everybody would rush to help them dress the wound to help them get to a doctor to help nurses or doctors get to them to save their lives to help them heal but when you come to a field of emotionally wounded people and that is such a 
such a hot topic right now where we just had mental health day mental health awareness day you know on 10th of october it wasn't too long ago and um this is when when you think about that a whole heap of people that are hurting on an emotional level and let's just uh reduce it to the field of grief because mental health can address so many different topics but when we reduce it to the field of grief nobody in their right mind would do that as in just walking away and going like you know what that that will always hurt oh just pour a bit more salt in the wound so it hurts really properly because that's what you're supposed to do but you know we we deal with grief complete polar opposite as how we would deal with wounded soldiers just because we can't see the wounds doesn't mean that we're not hurting so when you're hurting the first thing that you need to do is sit with the person be compassionate hold their hand be there for them assure them that it will get better that you are there to address or address their wounds if that makes sense you know and that's that's how I often explain it what happens when you when you walk away and tell them it'll never get better you'd never deal with somebody who's physically hurting like that and there's another thumbs up <laughs> Did you want to explain the thumbs up? Because I'm going I was just thinking that because we just had this chat before we went live. And, um, yeah, about three months ago, um, it was shortly before my husband's dad passed away. And uh, it was such an intense time for us because it re-triggered a lot of things for us. But in the most beautiful way, I have to say, and that's, that's another story. But what I want to share is um, about three days before Otavio passed, uh, something started happening every time when I'm in a Zoom meeting. You know, there are these hand raiser and love hearts and, and thumbs up signs that you can press in meetings. And it started happening that a thumbs up would appear on my screen and it had like a circle around it, like it was loading. And just before it loaded, it disappeared again. And it started happening in every single Zoom meeting. And now it's almost like a, you know, for me, it's like a thumbs up from Rob. I call them when they happen. But every now and then they they fully load and then other people can see too. And I'll be sitting here talking with my hands and I go like, how, how did that happen? How did you, it's like, it's not me. I didn't press the button, you know. Once I even got a hand raise, I'm like, where's the love heart? I want the love heart, but I always get the thumbs up. <laughs> so, yeah, I just got my thumbs up when I talked about that. <laughs> so what happened with Rob that made you start doing this? So Rob d- just died of an aneurysm, didn't he? Yes, Which is very, very basically sudden. basically dropped dead. Absolutely. For me, I literally have that vision of him being unplugged from our lives, like literally, and that's exactly how it happened. So Rob was away on a business trip and uh, he never came home. He he was just um, in Perth for work and we walked him to the station three days before because he usually caught the train. We live so close to the train station. He usually caught the train to the airport and then uh, caught the plane over. And uh, the night before we chit-chatted, you know, and, um, and then the next morning he didn't called me back he was supposed to wake me in the morning and the phone call never came and my anxiety levels were rising and I was like you know what's going on and tried to contact him and uh, to cut a very very long story short um, around lunchtime I had this epiphany I was like oh Rob always leaves the details with me where he stays so because I couldn't get hold of him I called the hotel where he stayed and I said please don't think I'm one of those um, freaked out wives stalking her husband but I know my husband's staying with you. He was supposed to call me in the morning and he's never late and he hasn't called me all morning. I'm really worried about him. Can you please send somebody to his room? And the moment I said that, I had this vision of him collapsing in a shower. And I I remember just shaking my head going like, don't go there, Marie, don't go there, you know. I'm getting a thumbs up again. It's incredible. 
And I had this vision of him collapsing. And in the moment when I saw that, it was literally just a split second. I said to them, and can you please check in the shower? And I thought they must think I'm completely mental, you know. <laughs> and that's where they found him. He had collapsed in the shower and died on the spot. It was just um, absolutely incredible. So I consider myself lucky in one way or in many ways, actually. But the one thing that was really important for me in that whole time was that Rob and I had a couple of conversations you know usually conversations like that are triggered when you hear about a fatal accident or you drive past a fatal accident where you like you know you're completely rocked to the core and it makes you think you know what would happen if that would happen to us and one day he drove past a fatal accident where a young dad had passed in in a front-on crash with a truck and um, we chatted that night and I still remember it we were sitting in our bed and we had one of these conversations, what would you do if something was happened to either of us, you know? And we both always said, I would want you to take the boys and create the happiest life possible. And we really meant it because Rob and I, we were just love and connection. We were that couple. Everybody looked at us as that couple, you know, they were like, oh, you too, you know, we were always that loved up couple for everyone. And uh, we really were not just, not just on Facebook, we really were, you know, it was just such a, connection that I had with Rob and that's why I think I felt it when something happened that's why I think I had that vision that's why I think I've been just guided along the way and um and that's what I took you know when when I finally received that phone call that afternoon that Rob had passed I instantly knew that it was such a bizarre it was almost like a flick the switch that's what I need to do I need to create the happiest life possible for the boys and I I had no idea how to in that moment. I was completely broken and, you know, my heart stood still and it was like the world was spinning around me but stood still at the same time, if that makes sense. I so often describe that moment like, uh, you know, your your favourite song is playing on a record player and all of a sudden the, the needle scratches and the song just stops, you know, that's that's how it felt that moment for me. Um, yeah, but um, I don't know where to take that story. I've, I've been rambling on here for it's it's just incredible so so many memories keep flooding back when you ask me that so yeah so I mean it's okay having that conversation but what actions did you put into place because when you're in that kind of shock the world doesn't make sense what did you actually do and what made you say hang on the way I'm being or did something happen that made you say the way that people are dealing with me is not working what actually created the next part? Yeah, that's a really good question because um, that's a one step back, like told in one sentence sort of answer. Like my dad passed when I was 20. And uh, the one thing that I took away from that was, I mean, again, I took many things away from that. But one thing that was really uncomfortable for me that I still remembered was that condolence line after his funeral. You know, like there were hundreds of people and when you are hugged and handshaken by hundreds of people in a row and everybody says to you, my condolences, I hope I'm allowed to say this here, you literally feel like you want to punch the next person in the face. It really, it becomes like empty words and, and the words actually start hurting you rather than comforting you. It is such a senseless, absolute harsh and brutal sentence. People don't mean it in a bad way. I understand that. It's absolute beautiful intention and sometimes I'm uh, just solely um, pure politeness you know that's what you say my condolences and I started really loathing that 
that sentence. I, I cannot cope with that sentence whatsoever. And I thought, I'm not going to do this to my boys. So first of all, I decided and I completely, that was the one thing where I didn't even ask Rob's family what they wanted. Um, I planned the funeral with his siblings present and I know they wanted to have an open casket, a, not open casket, sorry, a viewing before the funeral. And I was shocked because I wasn't prepared for that. But I thought, you know what, I can't take that away from them. They need closure too because we flew to Perth to identify his body, just the three of us. They didn't have that. They need that. So I thought I'm going to leave that to them. But as soon as she said condolences, I said, no, absolutely no. I said, I'm not going to get my boys through that or myself to have hundreds of people. We had over 500 people at the funeral uh, and that was midweek. I said, I'm not going to do that. So these were the little things that started. You know, I, I was like, I made decisions where I knew how can I protect my boys? How can I make that as comfortable as possible? If you can even talk about comfortable at a funeral, if that makes sense. We had such a celebration of life for Rob that I remember at the wake afterwards, it was not like a usual wake. It was a celebration of life. Literally, there were photos everywhere playing on screen and people were laughing and telling beautiful stories and funny stories about Rob. And it made my heart sing. And I thought, you know what? Rob would so love this. And I knew he did because he was so clearly present there. You know, I think he was really enjoying his final farewell. And, uh, and that meant so much to me. I did not ever expect to be laughing and having a really good time, a beautiful time. It was so heartfelt at uh, his celebration of life, you know, that that was something I didn't expect. So it just started from there on in and everything I did was like, how can I create a happy life for the boys? How can I do this? And I remember one day I was sitting, I, okay, I need to share one thing because everything sounds so, oh, everything was so light and happy. It wasn't. It was really intense for me. Every decision was just that creating a happy life was like a lighthouse for me. It was like my northern star. And um, it wasn't always easy to follow that. But I knew that was my direction. And I remember I had a nervous breakdown about a week after the funeral because that that's when everything was, you know, like you let go and this doing stage stops for a second and then I just collapsed. And I remember I literally collapsed in my kitchen screaming my lungs out, complete primal screaming, and then everything was quiet. And it was such a shock moment for me because I've never experienced anything like that, not even when my dad passed. And I started seeing a psychologist for about four months after that and it was a pivotal moment in her office and I sat with Emily and I talked to her about all of that, what I just shared with you, you know, how people react so differently and they all come and look at me and it's like, oh, how are you going, Marie? You know, and their face is drooping and their, their voice and their whole energy just drops when they see me. I'm like, well, I'm doing okay. I'm actually doing quite good today, you know, and I was, and they didn't expect that. They were like, why is she doing good? She's not supposed to be doing good. Her husband passed. You know, it's this whole people were so puzzled when they see me, when they saw me having a good day or a great time with anything. And I said to her, there's so much pressure, this expectation from society, how you're supposed to grieve. And, you know, and she looked at me and said, well, what does grief mean to you, Marie? And she was so calm. And I said, this is really bizarre. But the first word that just came out was empowerment. And that was completely unexpected. And that's when I said to her, I think I need to write a book about this. And she said, yeah, you should. So I did. That was literally the seed planted for what is now a global movement with thousands of people in it. Um, yeah. 
it's really funny because as you're saying that, I know both sides of it, you know, going mm. through the grief for, for somebody close. Yeah. But also I don't know how to deal with people who just yeah. lost their son or their daughter. Yeah. I, what yeah. the hell do I say? Because I know yeah. how I'd be feeling. So yeah. I'd be going, uh, how are you going? Well, do you? <laughs> Do you know how you would be feeling? That's a good well, question. Well, that's it. I, yeah, mm. I don't know. So I'm just, yeah. I'm a bit, I suppose, because like most people, I respond as mm. opposed to generate the conversation. Yeah. So yeah. my question comes from a space of, okay, where do I, what does my reaction need to be to this? Is yeah. it going to be happy or is it going to be sad? Yeah. But we're not. It's both sides of it. We don't know how to grieve, but we also yeah. don't know how to. How to respond. How to respond. Yeah. 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 I think that's such a good point that you raised that. I'm really grateful that you raised that because I believe that the best way to respond is to not make assumptions. Mm. Everyone makes assumptions that this is the worst thing that ever happened to you. But sometimes it can actually be the best thing that ever happens to you. And it sounds absolutely disrespectful when I say it that way. But uh, you just don't know why those things happen. And also people have always asked me, you must constantly be asking yourself the question, why did that happen to me? And I always said, no, I have not once asked myself the question. And that really puzzles people. But what people don't understand, and I often don't know how to explain it to people because I understand that everyone's faith is very different. But shortly after Rob died, I had the most beautiful enlightenment about Rob's passing where I all of a sudden felt such peace. And I was like, wow, this was Rob and my contract. We had a soul contract. We chose this for whatever reason, but we chose this. And I felt so strongly about it. And I got so much confirmation that this is what we have chosen along the way. And this is for another thousand other stories, but it was just really beautiful to feel at peace with that and to not beat myself, uh, beat myself up about this why and asking myself this question. I never once asked myself that question. When my dad passed, I did. I handled my dad's passing so differently, but I learned so much from it. And one thing that I learned was to never take life for granted, to tell people how much you love them, to tell people if they're wearing a beautiful dress, to tell people I like your smile. At, it is something that I've really learned and taken on from my dad's passing, which made our relationship so beautiful. Rob and I really lived that on a daily basis. We would always tell each other how much we loved each other and how much we meant for each other. So I felt that I had such a beautiful, fulfilled life with Rob through that one gift of my dad's adversity, of my dad's passing. So I got very sidetracked with your question. I didn't know, but it's just no, been... No, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> because it's opened up a dozen other questions. Yeah, me because, absolutely. Uh, where I can, I always want to understand. That's where mm. I come from. So, yeah. kind of putting myself in your shoes and thinking about it. The big guide for you. Oh no, hang on, not guide. Mm -hmm. Perhaps what opened the space for you was your commitment to your boys. Having had that conversation yeah. with Rob, you've got to make sure the boys have a happy life. Perhaps that, and I'm just thinking about it from my perspective here, mm. because I know when my mum passed, I was just a big hot mess. And I adore my husband, don't get me wrong. He's mm. not, he can't deal with strong emotions. He's one of mm. those, I'm just going to go away and leave you to it. So, yeah. and I'm, I live 
I'm just I'm out there. I just live out there, which is opposite yeah. to attract, you know, with one of those couples. So I'm kind of thinking I was I didn't have anything to pull me forward. And was it that thing yeah. of having the kids? wanting to give them a happy life that left you the space in all those emotions to go, I want to go that way, not just Mm. go down the way that my emotions are pulling me. I don't know. There's a vague question in there. I'm kind of not sure what it is yet. No, 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 that's absolutely fine. I just feel what pulled me was that I knew what it felt like losing my dad and I was so much older than them. I was 20 when my dad passed. They weren't even combined as old. They were 10 and 8, you know, and and I thought, I'm not going to let that happen to you. I've got you. You know, it was this instant mama bear, deepest instinct to step into full-on protector mode. You know, I'm going to grab you and we run and we take this most amazing. So I, I actually planned a trip around the world with him after Rob passed. About five months after we jumped on the plane and uh, traveled around the world for two months, the three of us together. And what they never knew was that Rob and I actually had planned to take the entire 2019 off and travel around the world with them. We wanted to homeschool them and we had the whole itinerary standing. I still got all the pictures on my cupboard upstairs. I never had the heart to take them off. And we we had everything planned. We would travel through South Africa and Europe and Asia and have like an endless summer for an entire year. And when Rob died, rather than going like, oh, I can't do this, and this is a very pivotal uh, decision that I apply over and over again. I never look at what I can't do. I always look at what can I do. So I went like, okay, what can I do? There's no way I would travel through South America with two young boys on my own, but this is what I can do. So we went to the Maldives and the Canary Islands and we went through Europe and we went to Paris to eat escargot. That was what my eldest wanted. Um, and. <laughs> They're okay with lots of garlic on. <laughs> and I took them to Universal Studios and, and then we went home, you know. It was a really, really beautiful trip around the world and we travelled so well together and there was so much happiness. And I thought, that's what I need, creating happiness, creating new happy memories because we've got so many happy memories with Rob and now it's time to create them as a family of three. I don't let this pivotal moment of Rob's passing be a catalyst for going downhill this needs to continue or even go further up whatever you know but never down and that really fueled every single one of my decisions and directions that I chose and there was obviously grieving going on while you were doing oh, this yeah. okay what form did the grieving take and how did mm. you kind of build that in because it's yeah. not something you can grief is something that we have to feel mm. like that's part of our psyche Yes, uh, have to, to a certain extent. Absolutely, I agree with that. Uh, it's very unhealthy to just tuck it away. The way I see it, though, is not how can I fit grief in because grief happens naturally. The sadness or, or the pain, all of that uh, happens naturally. For me, it was the how can I build happiness in. Mm-hmm. So see what I mean? The focus changes 180 degrees. Because I don't have to worry about grief. The grief is there. The sadness is there. I don't need any help with creating that. It's automatically there. But what I need help with and where I need my focus to be is how do I build happiness in? And that's what society doesn't teach you, that you can grieve and be happy. For society, it's all either or, mm-hmm. and mostly it's grief. When when somebody dies, that's where you got to be. That's your space and that's where you're going to stay. And I'm like, no, that's not where I'm staying. 
that's where one of my feet always will be, but the other one, no, I shouldn't say always, till I'm healed. This is the other thing. People always tell you you can't heal from grief. I beg to differ because we have, you know, there's this whole perspective. If you have the perspective, if you choose the perspective that you will never heal from grief, uh, your focus will always stay on grief and you'll always stay there, or at least one of your feet will always stay there. Um, if you have the perspective, I can heal from that and I want that to happen until I can just be here, that's fine. For me, grief now is a visitor. Every now and then it comes with some memories, with some triggers when you watch a movie. Like for months and months, whatever movie we picked, the dad passed. And we always looked at each other like, how on earth do we keep picking movies where the dad passes? This is ridiculous. It doesn't matter if it was a comedy or a tragedy or uh, an action movie. There was always a dad passing. And we just went like, how on earth? And at first I was bawling my eyes out and then I got better and better at it. And I was like, See, that's what I see grief as now. It is a visitor. Every now and then it comes and that to me is like, okay, there needs to be something still shared and I cried out and I feel so much better afterwards but then I go back to being happy. I don't want that to stay with me forever. I don't want grief to be a permanent resident in my home. It can visit every now and then, absolutely fine, but then off you go. You know, it's just something where when something happens, when triggers come up, I do embrace them wholeheartedly. I don't ignore them. I work with it. I... Um, even lately, when I uh, when I just told you, you know, when Otavio passed, my father-in-law, uh, it triggered a lot of things for me. And for the first time in a long time, I never had to deal with anxiety in my life. The first time I felt anxiety, really, that I can remember was when Rob didn't call me back that day when he had passed. You know, that's where I felt anxiety. And it came back to me when Otavio passed. Uh, all of a sudden, I developed this anxiety around the boys and have they healed properly or did we escape into happiness? Were we too happy? And that's what a lot of people ask me. And then I ask myself these questions too because I realized we did escape into happiness. But I love that we did that. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, because it takes you to a place where you're then better equipped to deal with it. So I think you can't shake it off. It'll come anyway, but it'll come at a time when you have healed to a certain extent and where you're more equipped to deal with it. But all these questions came up as in, did I do it the right way? Was it right for them or just right for me? And so I decided to go back into therapy because I thought right now I need support with that. And this is what I want everybody to really listen to, to your own heart. When you have needs, meet them in whatever way that helps you. Don't listen to what society tells you. Listen to your heart because you always know best what you need and when you need it. That's my big message here. It's really interesting because something you said that we view it as an either or. If yeah. somebody close to you has died, and the analogy that came up for me is Queen Victoria. When mm -hmm. Albert died, she went into mourning for 12 months. She literally did not come mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Buckingham Palace. She wouldn't see anybody. She wouldn't do anything. And she wore black for the rest of her life. Yeah. And that's uh, deemed appropriate, shall we say. Yeah. That's an appropriate response yeah. to the yeah. love of your life passing away. Mm. And there is no room for being happy. Mm. There is no room for moving on with your life yeah. in our expectations of mm. what you should be like when you're grieving. And yeah. it's simply never occurred to me till this mm -hmm. conversation that, ah, okay, it's actually okay to be happy mm -hmm. and to focus on happy and to let the grief come and then let it go again. You know, yeah. you don't have to hold on to it. Yeah, 
It's so beautiful that you say that. I definitely dealt with grief highly inappropriately and I love it. And I'm sure that Rob would be so proud of me for that too. Um, And uh, there's one thing that most people say, in particular often connected to the space of grief, where they say, it's okay not to be okay. And then one of my moderators in my group actually said to me once, it's okay to be okay. And I loved it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a golden nugget. Thank you, Christopher Kruber. I have to mention him here because I'm stealing his quote. But, uh, you know, that it's okay to be okay. That is so powerful and so simple. And we are not being taught how to do that. And that's why I started. No, we're taught to be not okay, but we're not taught to be okay. Exactly. And we're taught that it's okay not to be okay. But we're not taught that it's okay to be okay. That's the exact point, you know. I love it. And our assumption is that when when Rob died, if I'd met Mm. you, I'd be like, you're not okay. That would be the space that I was coming from, that you're not okay. And and you're never going to be fully okay again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's so not true. You know, I was fully okay. And uh, actually relatively soon for most people's judgment I have to say I was okay too quickly and I couldn't have been prouder of myself for being okay so quickly because I worked so hard on it every decision I made was built on how can I create a happy life at first it was to make Rob proud but then it was also or I should say and it was also for our benefit you know it was just something that it's just natural people just want to be happy Everyone, no matter what race, what age, what upbringing, people just want to be happy. That's the one thing that combines all of us, you know, that unites all of us. And I certainly wanted that for myself and the boys. I thought, how can I do this? And every single decision in my life, every step of the way was how can I make this the best or happiest decision or experience of our lives? And I I love that I did that. I have no regrets. Yeah. So let's talk about, oh, I hate it when my brain does this. Oh, God. So <laughs> it's all because we're, we're jumping around in so many levels, but I just it's love a, it. A bit, yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> I do enjoy it. It's really good fun. Mm. But there's there's so many, ple- because I want to, if I think back to when my mum died and I was yeah. a, a like really in shock, it wasn't yeah. very pleasant. But if I'd, I'm going to come back to the onlookers thing. So mm. no, I'm not. Oh, see, there's too <laughs> many places to go. <laughs> it's fine. I want to go to the how. That that's yeah. kind of where I want to go. So when you're yeah. making a daily decision, yeah, like okay, I've got to get the kids up and mm-hmm. feed them. Or if you've not got kids, if you've not got yeah. anybody else in your life, your husband's just mm-hmm. died, or your partner's yeah. your wife's just died. What then? If there's yeah. nobody else in your life, what then? Yeah. I love that you asked me that. It is such an important question because so many people, uh, moms in particular, tell me, well, I had to because of the kids. Mm. And I always said, you know what, there are so many people out there that make different decisions, unfortunately. You know, they uh, either just don't move, don't get out of bed, sometimes slide into depression, unfortunately, or sometimes even drugs or alcohol or, very unfortunately, also suicide. So there's so many other options, and I really want to put that under quotation marks um, because they're not great choices. But the fact that you did get up and that you did do something is like not a had to, you chose to. 
And I really want you to own that. It's so important you chose to. And here I come back to your question. You know, there are people that don't have kids. What then, you know? And so often people take kids as the perfect example. Well, you had to. Well, first of all, I don't agree with the had to. You chose to. It really changes everything. It puts the power back to you if you are aware of that in a moment or not. But you did choose. You could have just stayed in bed. And then people go like, well, at least you had kids and you had a reason to get up. I'm like, for some people, that, though, is a real, it's hard to not just care for myself, but also for the kids. And I had moments where I felt like, oh, my God, am I giving them enough? Am I holding them enough? Am I holding enough space for them? The answer was most certainly yes. But you don't know that in the situation, you're not on the outside. You are so, you know, there's so many layers of emotions and it is really overwhelming to say the least. You know, that's the most positive way I can put it. So there's always both sides to both stories. You know, if you don't have kids, at least you can look just after yourself and make sure that you have all the strength for yourself and you don't have to worry about anybody else. And if you do want to lay in bed one day because you just need to rest, you can. You cannot allow yourself that when you have kids. You know, I mean, again, it comes back to, yes, of course you can, but I chose to get up for them. I chose to stand strong for them. I chose to be their absolute northern star and their torchbearer and their mama bear and their mom in shining armor. I just needed to be all of that for them because I wanted them to be happy. I wanted to create that for them. So if I had not had kids... I don't know where I would have gone. I would have probably had a lot more moments where I would have just rested and not be seen by the outside world and just fall apart and cry and that would have been okay too. What is not okay for me is when you stay there, when you stay stuck in your grief, when you stay stuck in your sorrow and your wallowing and succumb to the pressure of society's expectations and just stay in that pain. So It is just a matter of where your direction is. The direction is always the most important thing. And it comes back to your question, what you asked me before, how you choose your focus daily because the pain doesn't need to be the focus. It's there anyway. So for me, the focus was always healing or happiness or hope, all these beautiful hate words. And that's how I made it through every single day and sometimes through every single hour until I got to a better space mentally or emotionally as well, if that makes sense. It was literally uh, getting from step to step at the beginning, from breath to breath. It's breathing, so important. This is one super simple tool. When you're in absolute overwhelm and you feel like you're completely falling apart, there's the power of the one deep breath. When you're in such overwhelm, just... And it brings you back into the present moment. It really does. It's so powerful and so simple and everyone can do that. So for me, it was finding all these little tools, how to, and then I started teaching them. I had to bite my cheeks then because you said, you said move on from grief to hope and happiness. And mm-hmm. I went, oh, yeah, you go up the alphabet. That's my brain. So I had to bite my cheeks. That's <laughs> 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 true. The other thing that was coming up for me is I know quite a few people who've lost a child at various mm. stages of life from very, very young to adults, you know, who yeah. late 20s, early 30s. And that seems to be the grief that people hold on to the most. Mm. And this is yeah. not a criticism. I am not criticizing no, no, no. here no. at all. Yeah. 
um, it almost seems to be easier losing a parent because you can justify it, you know. Well, because they're know, older than you and it's natural, etc., etc. Yeah. Et yeah. Even yeah. a partner is, you know, you might feel I'd <laughs> I'd go into it. Shouldn't be. It shouldn't have happened, mm. you know. Yeah. But losing a child is kind of different and what grief should come out of like I know Mm. people who lost children years and years ago and it's still their daily thought yeah their daily primary thought is about that child and the loss of that child it's everywhere you know when I first started loving life after loss the movement I one of my biggest fears was exactly that that I would have parents come to me going like how dare you tell me to be happy how dare you telling me to love life you've got no idea what it feels like losing a child and they're right I don't know because I've never experienced it I even had nightmares about please don't let this happen to me just so I understand you know what I mean you really you really start becoming a little bit um yeah anxious around that you know as I said there's all these anxiety feelings I never had to deal with them before and all of a sudden they came at certain stages to me as in and then something happened a couple of things happened actually and uh, two people I I really want to highlight here that are so beautiful that said what an impact my work had on them but they had such an even bigger impact on me I would say and I don't want to compare it which was bigger but one of them is Terry and the other one is Chris, who I just mentioned. And they are both moderators in my group now, which is so beautiful. And Terry and Christopher both lost their son. And interesting enough, both their sons were called Ryan. You know, uh, Terry's Ryan was 34 and Chris's Ryan was 24 when they lost their sons. And And both of them have taught me that, first of all, healing is absolutely possible. And Christopher was the one who shed a completely different light on that I until I met Chris always said the same thing there's no worse loss than losing your own child because that's what society again uh, teaches us and Chris was like who are we to judge that if my loss is worse than yours and that was a really beautiful way for me to neutralize that and stop judging it because it's the whole, um, the, the, one of the many things that I often teach is the looking at situations as is without putting our judgment on. Because if somebody comes to me with a droopy face and, oh, God, it's the worst thing that could have ever happened to you, they are the ones that put a judgment on my situation. Well, what right does anybody have to judge my situation? If anybody can do that, then it's me, nobody else. Why would anybody tell me this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me? Who knows? Maybe that was tragic. Yes, absolutely. But maybe that was a catalyst because when you look at it now, we are running a movement that is healing thousands of people from grief, from that really excruciating pain. And maybe, and I actually want to scrap that maybe, but I'm just talking out of perspective, that was the exact soul contract that Rob and I had for that to happen so I could go on and save hundreds and thousands of people. And this is my big mission, to heal the world from grief. When I first said it, I thought, oh, my goodness, Marie, that's a bit big. And now I'm like, no, it's absolutely possible. Not me on my own, but me collective with so many other people that I met along the way. Such a blessing. Every single one of them 
having their own following, having their own groups, their own movements. And collectively, I truly believe that we can change the stigma of grief, that we can break down that narrative that this is the worst thing ever happening to you. Why does it have to be like that? It's only like that if we choose that to be. This is our choosing if it's the worst or the best thing or it just is. And I always start with it just is. Stop putting judgment on it. It's a really good point because there's, mm. there's so many layers of judgment that we put on grief. And yeah. I didn't even realize that, you know, there are layers of it's okay for your parents to die. It's bad for mm. your partner to die, but it's like yeah. inconsolable for your yeah. child to die. I kind of yeah. didn't realize that, that that's mm. what do you call it? A false judgment Pretend. that's put on yeah. that. Yeah. But it's also goes back to one of those original questions that are or statements that are made like we're not taught how to yeah one deal with our own grief but two yeah. how to deal with everybody else's grief yeah. and we have expectations and it's those expectations of how to deal with it ourselves and how to deal with it in others that need changing isn't it that's basically yeah. what you're doing yeah absolutely and i think what makes it good or bad and and I know for some people, for most people, it will like how can how can anybody's passing be good? But for me, it's like what makes it good or bad is how we deal with it. What do you do with it now? You know, you've been given something that everybody else would probably judge as the worst thing ever, or is you know nobody could ever understand. Um, yeah, maybe maybe I don't understand, and, and I absolutely agree with that. Yet it really depends on what you do with it, and. I feel very confident about saying that now that I've worked with hundreds of people that have lost their kids, where I've watched people go on to do some incredible stuff with that, you know, some incredible movements or acts of kindness, or it doesn't always have to be global and movements. Sometimes it's just the way we deal with the world or we go on and uh, leave a legacy that changes what has happened. And I knew that I wanted to do everything in my power to leave the most beautiful legacy for Rob and to know that his passing didn't go unnoticed and his passing didn't happen for no reason. He was the most beautiful catalyst to everything we do these days. I'm saying we as a family, the three of us, or we as a movement with my moderators, with my team that helps me build this and grow this and it is just so beautiful what happens in there that I'm just saying things, babe. You know, this is just, oh, yeah, he really took a fall for a lot of beautiful things to happen. And I, I think my heart is just full of gratitude for where we are with this right now. Talk to me about your group because I know we've got to wrap mm. up in a minute. I'm just, <laughs> I could keep <laughs> talking here, Marie, but yeah. let's, tell me about what you, how people can get in touch with you and what you've got to, to support Yeah. Me. Well, I want to share a super quick story. I make this really short how we actually started the group. Like uh, when I had this moment with Emily where I said, you know, grief means empowerment to me. I think I need to write a book about this. I actually went and did that. About five weeks later, I published 
Loving Love After Loss. So that was first a book before it became a movement. And what happened was this was also absolutely unexpected for me. It not only became an Amazon number one bestseller, but it ranked in the top 100 of Australia. I was gobsmacked. I didn't ex- expect that. I just thought, I'm just sharing our story, you know, how I met Rob, how we fell in love, how we had this most beautiful life, our barefoot wedding on the beach and the kids and and I shared this as a legacy for him so that the boys could read it one day. What I didn't expect was that, you know, to be in the top 100. And I thought, wow, this is mind-blowing. And when we were traveling around the world a couple of weeks later, I had this moment in Vienna where I'm originally from. Where I thought this is so much bigger than us. This is so much bigger than just the book. I need to do something with this. People need what we have. And that is hope and happiness and healing here those three high words again and uh, that's what made me think about starting a movement so i started a movement and everything i learned everything i did every single step of the way that helped me heal i started teaching so i started creating uh healing journeys and programs and when i opened the movement i thought i'm going to run a retreat in november and i did so i ran my first retreat in November 2019 and then uh you know now we had our fourth one I think um just a few months ago and that's just been growing and developing and meanwhile we've got uh three and a half thousand people in in the movement and just steadily growing and I've written my second book Happy Healing I started a membership based on that also called Happy Healing I've done a TEDx talk about redefining our image of a widow that's really really important to me letting go of those labels so, yeah, I, I believe anybody who's drawn to that, I think the best way is just to have a look on my website because you will find everything there about the programs, the books, the movement, everything. And uh, that's marieallesi.com. So to keep that simple. And the, the links will be on the web page, but they'll also be on the video on YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, redefining the widow. I don't know whether to yeah. go there now or whether to do another <laughs> episode on that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's it's very short. It's it's literally just I wanted to talk about letting go of labels, you know, because as soon as we create labels, we start living up to them. And I certainly don't fit the typical image of a widow, so I needed to do a talk about that. And I thought TEDx is the best way to spread the word. And, uh, yeah, it was quite incredible to do that. Wow. I'll put a link to that one up as well. Is, <laughs> sure. Is that, is that link on your on – your, uh... I'll send it to you. Okay, lovely. Thank you. Yeah. We'd probably better wrap up there. Thank you so much, Marie. It has been a Thank you. pleasure to meet you. It's been fabulous. Likewise, Karen. Thank you so much. I know we got like fully sidetracked so many times, so it's just such an incredible topic to talk about. And I'm very, very grateful that you had me. Thank you. You're welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.